My hope tonight is, is that we all would be aware that the, that the devil and the demons are trying to tempt us to go this path which we are going to be talking about tonight. And I just pray no one in this room ever has to deal with what we're going to be talking about tonight. But it's very important. And so I'm going to start off with this story a little bit so you'll understand kind of where we're going with this. This is a story about the two ducks and a frog. How's that for a way to start off this thing? Look, we got... We got stuff on the screen right there. So we got two ducks and a frog. Now they lived together in the same pond and they became best of friends. So they played together all their life. All day long they would swim and play together. Then one day the pond, it dried up and so they had to move to another pond. Well, that was kind of a, a problem because it wasn't a problem for the ducks because the ducks could just fly to another pond. But what about the frog? How was that frog going to get all the way over to another pond? And the frog, he wanted to go ahead and spend the time with his duck friends because they've been friends all their life. And so they had to think of something. Now, the frog all his life was always telling all of them in the pond, because as you understand in this story that animals talk to each other. So when they're talking to each other in the pond, the frog has always been telling them that he's the smartest animal in the pond. And so they had to think of some, how, is, how are we going to get the frog over to the other pond? Well, the frog had an idea. The frog would hold on to the middle of the stick with his mouth while the ducks both grabbed each end of the stick with their mouths, and then the ducks would fly, and the frog would hang on to the middle of the stick with his mouth, and then they said, how do you think that will work? And the duck says, I think that will work great. And the frogs say, I think it will work great too. Because remember, I'm the smartest person here. They said, you are the smartest person here. That's a great plan. So the day comes when they're going to leave. The frog puts his mouth on the middle of the stick. The ducks grab each end of the stick and they start to fly. Now, when they start to fly, they fly over this field. And while they're flying over this field, this farmer talks, sees them up there and talks to them. Because in this story, you got to understand that farmers can talk to ducks and frogs up on up. And so they're flying there and the farmer looks up at the ducks and that frog in the middle and said, that is an amazing, brilliant idea. I wonder who thought of that. And with pride started to fill up in the frog's throat, he said, I did. Well, what happened? Well, scripturally, this is what happened. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Tonight, we're going to talk about something that happens to all of us if we're not very careful, and that is this. That is pride. We're going to talk tonight about spiritual pride. And we're going to talk about how we need to guard against in our lives by following the Lord, by being filled with the Holy Spirit, how to go through life and not have this pride that sometimes we are tempted to have. And so as we get into this, that's kind of where we're starting with. And we're going to start in Matthew 20 because it is the parable. It's the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And you go, oh, I remember that story. It is. It's in Matthew 20. Now, a parable, as the pastor always says, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So this is a story that Jesus is telling 
that's an earthly story and it has a spiritual meaning. And so when we're looking in Matthew 20, 1 through 16, we're looking now at a story, a parable that Jesus taught. Now, parable is from the two Greek words para and balo, which means this, beside, to throw. So it basically means to throw beside. So Jesus is telling this story because of something else that had happened. He's putting the story beside something. Well, what is he putting it beside? Well, if you look through the Gospels, you kind of put it together in your life. Jesus, if you look up in 19, right at the very end of 19, verse 19, uh, chapter 19, he had just told the story about the rich young ruler. Now, this is the time in Jesus' life that is getting close to where he is predicting his death and they're realizing that the end is near. And so he has this story about the rich young ruler. And he tells this story, and then Peter comes in verse 27, and Peter asks him this question. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? So Peter has a question. Okay, he tells about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler does not want to get rid of his riches, and he walks away. Well, they realize they're not rich. They've given up everything. And Peter just asks the question to Jesus, okay, we've given up everything for you. Now, if you, what, what are we going to get? So he asks that question. Well, if you look in Mark 10, which is the Gospels, it has the story of the rich young ruler. And then it also has the same question that Peter asked. Peter asked, well, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? Well, around the same time, in Mark 10, and then later in Matthew 20 is when you have the story of the mother of James and John coming to Jesus and say, okay, we know that you're about to die, and the mother of James and John say to him, okay, I want one of my sons to sit on your right side, and I want another one to sit on your left side. And so he, they're, they're coming to this point where they're realizing that Jesus is going to die, and the disciples are starting to ask the question, well, what's going to happen now? Am I going to be able to be on your right side or your left side? Am I going to be able to have this or have this? And through all this discussion, I believe, is one of the reasons why we have this parable. And as we read the parable and discuss it, you'll understand. Because Peter's kind of moving to wonder what's going to happen. You know, he's followed him all his life. What is he going to get from this? And then James and John... There, one wants to be on the right and one's going to be on the left. Of course, Jesus' answer to that is, to James and John, is you need to serve. That, you need to be a servant. And so that's Jesus' answer to that. And so he tears, tells this parable, and the parable is very eye-opening to us. So let's start in Matthew 20, 1 through 16, as we're going to talk about the laborers in the vineyard. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in the vineyard. Now, when he agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And he said to them, what have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, 
you also go into a vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when they came who were hired around the eleventh hour, they gave each one of them a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, The last man had worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who had borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to the last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do that? I wish with my own things. Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called and few are chosen. And so we look at this scripture, and what we see is these laborers all throughout the day are working for the owner of the vineyard. And he says to the people at the very early in the morning, he says, I'm going to pay you a denarius. But then throughout the day, he hires more laborers and said, I'll give you what you need. And so as he goes and does this, he calls, as at the end of the day, he goes and pays everyone from the people that were early that were hired from the very first, which he was going to pay a denarius, and then the people that were at the very end that only worked a few hours or an hour at least, he paid them a denarius. Well, sure enough, the people at the first of the hour that started at the very beginning of the day, they started to complain. And, of course, the landowner says this. The landowner says, did I not promise you a denarius? And so I think where we are coming, we have two meanings, I believe, from this parable. Remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Number one, I believe, is this. I believe this parable is showing that God's grace is open to everyone. That God's grace, no matter when you come to know the Lord, is open to everyone. If you are here tonight and you have not asked Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm here to say from this right here that God's grace, and for by grace we are saved through faith, not of our works, lest any man will boast. But yet what it is, if, if you are here tonight and you've not asked Jesus Christ in your heart, it doesn't matter how old you are or what you've done, God's grace is for you. That's what this parable shows you. And so I want you to know that. We're not talking so much about God's grace tonight, even though when you have God's grace like that, that is just the most important. So I hope that you pray that you do not leave here tonight without in your heart making 100% sure that you know Jesus Christ in your heart, and Jesus Christ will come into your heart. And so one of the things in this story is God's grace is open to all. I think the more dangerous part of this story is we see a glimpse in this story of what can happen to any of us at any given time, and that is an aspect or an issue called spiritual pride. That sometimes I believe that the devil wants to tempt us as Christians to have spiritual pride. Now, to get to know what spiritual pride is, 
we have to first define what spiritual pride is. Now, I believe spiritual pride happened in this parable when the ones in the morning came to Jesus and said, listen, we've been working here all day long, and they're getting the same thing that we're getting. Of course, Jesus' answer was what I said from the very beginning. His answer was, my grace is free to everyone. And yet some people in the story were not very happy because they felt like they did more than another person. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we cannot do anything more to get God's grace. God's grace is free. And God's grace for you is free. And so we have to understand that. And so spiritual pride is an issue, and it happens with us people who believe that we've got God and the Bible and this Christian life, we've got it figured out into one, two, three category, and we have it figured out to where in the times of our life, sometimes this happens. We have a tendency sometimes to feel superior to other people because we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and how we live our Christian life. Let me read that again. Spiritual pride is what happens when we believe that we have God, the Bible, and the Christian life figured out. It makes us superior to other people, and here's what it does. It often leads to criticism defensiveness, and it often leads to self-focus. And so that's a scripture, that's a definition from someone called uh, Jess Holland. And, and what that person is saying is, is that sometimes the devil tempts us, and sometimes what the devil wants us to fall into the trap is of turning inward in our life, to turn inward into our life when we are Christians, and we have a tendency to know how to live the Christian life better than other people. That's spiritual pride. Now, how do we know that spiritual pride does exist? Well, we know it exists because the devil himself had spiritual pride. You know, when you look at some quotes back in the long time ago, Jonathan Edwards, who was a great evangelist, and a great preacher back in 1748. That was back when the Great Awakening came to America back in the 1700s, and Jonathan Edwards came. I mean, Jonathan Edwards is one of those in that era of that. He wrote an article because the revival had come over here to America, and people were just getting saved all over the place. And he saw something going on in America that he was worried about. And that was that people were telling other people that the only way you could be, you can get saved is, or the ways that you get saved is you have to live this way and this way and this way and this way. It really took away God's grace. The only way you're saved is you ask Jesus Christ into your heart and ask him to forgive your sins and you become a Christian. And God's grace then forgives your sin and you become a Christian. Do you agree with that? Amen. That's how you become a Christian. Well, what was happening during the Great Awakening is many people were becoming legalistic and saying, well, you have to believe this way to become a Christian, and you have to do this to become a Christian, and you have to wear this to become a Christian, and you have to become this way to become a Christian. And it was a, it's, it's an issue that he called spiritual pride. 
And so he wrote an article and he said this, and of all kinds of pride, spiritual pride is among many accounts the most hateful and hurtful. Why is that, he said? Because it is the most like the devil. And it is most like sin that he committed. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, the devil himself committed spiritual pride. If we look in the Bible in Isaiah, we're going to see in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, about the devil falling from heaven. Now, the devil used to be an angel. And the devil was one of the most beautiful angels. And so what happened is in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, it talks about this about the devil. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said it in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I in the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. And so he said, the devil said to this, I want to be like God. Of course, God is God. And so what the God did is God cast the, de the devil to the earth with a third of the angels because they were rebelling against God because the devil had in his mind that he knew better than God how to live his life and how this spiritual life might work. See, it's like, it's like these people in the vineyard. They came to Jesus or the landowner and said, listen, we've been working all day and you, you, you know, these people get a Daenerys and we've been working all day and we don't have a... At that time, those people thought they knew how to run the land better than the landowner. And so anytime that we turn, our, turn to ourselves and turn to a self-focus, we are getting into spiritual pride that I know how to do this a little bit better. I'll give you some examples. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the garden, and Jesus said to Adam and Eve in the garden, you can eat of any fruit of any tree except for what? One tree. You cannot touch that tree. And that tree you cannot touch. Well, Adam and Eve, through the temptation of the devil, but still through temptations, kind of came to the thought that I know more about what God meant than God meant. And so what Adam and Eve did is they took a bite of the forbidden fruit. Spiritual pride entered their life saying that I know how to do this better than what God knows how to do. And what happened with them is that started sin. And that's where we are today. That's one example of pride, of spiritual pride. Anytime you think that you know more about what's going on in life than God does, that's spiritual pride. So Adam and Eve's one example. Another example we have is King David. You say, well, King David was a godly king. King David was a godly king. King David was a very godly king. But there was one day when King David went up on his balcony and King David looked down and saw Bathsheba. 
Now, King David was anointed by God to be king. King David, I believe, and God, God even said it, he was a man after God's own heart. But when, God, when David stood on that balcony and he looked down and saw Bathsheba, something came over him, and I believe that was spiritual pride. He said to himself, I know I'm anointed by God. I know I'm the king. I know I'm a man after God's own heart. But I think it's okay if I take that woman. And then I think it's okay if I send her husband and then her husband gets killed. He turned inward and he started justifying his life and he started justifying what he did even though it was directly against the will of God. And even though it was directly against what God wanted him to do, it came down to this. David wanted Bathsheba. And for a year and a half, he hid that sin. And for a year and a half, he went through a nightmare of a life because he hid that sin. That was David. We look in the New Testament, and Paul, who used to be Saul, you know, Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, his name was Saul before he got saved. And what we have in Philippians is an interesting scripture that he taught, that he teaches us, that he puts in, puts in the Bible. In Philippians 3, it says this, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. Though I am also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So Paul is saying, listen, you may think you're something, but I was even better. This is what Paul's saying right here. Paul's saying, you might think you're something, but listen to this. He says this, I was more so. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was concerning a law. He was a Pharisee. He was considered zealous. He persecuted the church. He's concerned righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. So he was saying to us, you all might think you're something, but I was even more. This is what Paul is saying in the scripture. Of course, he was Saul and he was lost then. But listen what he says next. He says this, but what things were gained to me, that means this, any focus I put on myself, anything, any inkling of me turning my opinion and turning it to myself and trying to put that on other people, he's saying this, that's lost to Christ. That, is, that doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. So the whole issue of spiritual pride is this. We have to be very careful to want things our own way. Our sinful nature is geared toward wanting things our own way. Do you agree with that? Our sinful nature. But our Christ nature is to glorify and follow Jesus Christ and his will for our life. And so what happens in our life sometimes is this. 
things coming into our life, and we think we know better than what the Bible says, and we think we know better than what other people say, and so we turn inward and we say, I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm going to try to take care of this myself because I think I know better how to handle this. I'm here to say today, we don't know better how to handle it. If we have Jesus Christ in our heart, we have turned our whole life over to Jesus Christ, and Jesus knows better how to handle it than anything that we could ever think. And I believe just like David and Adam and Eve and even Paul in this, and in a minute we'll hear what happened, but in, and just like Paul here, we may think our life that we're smart, and we probably are, and we know the world, which we probably do, but Jesus Christ has given us this word of God, and Jesus Christ has come into our heart, and Jesus is warning us, do not do things on your own. I'm asking you tonight that when you have the temptation to do something on your own or to criticize someone who's doing something or to turn focus on yourself because of something happened in your life, I'm asking you right then to drop on your knees and ask God, don't let me have this spiritual pride. God, let me turn to you. Let me turn to who you are. Because this is what spiritual pride does. Spiritual pride always damages our faithfulness. Now, when we ask Jesus into our heart, the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, and Jesus asks us to be faithful to him. Now, because Jesus asks us to be faithful to him, he wants us to live for him. He wants us to read the word of God. He wants us to be kind to one another. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to care about one another. He wants us to do what the Bible says. That's faithfulness. And so our goal as a Christian is to be faithful to God. That's our number one goal, to be faithful to God. When you get up in the morning, God, I want to be faithful to you. At 10 o'clock, God, I want to be faithful to you. At noon, I want to be faithful to you. When somebody yells at you, God, I want to be faithful to you. When somebody cuts you off on the road, God, I want to be faithful to you. That's our goal. Our goal is to be like Christ by being faithful to him, and he transforms us. So when we start trying to do things on our own, it messes up our faithfulness. It damages our faithfulness because the Bible promises that when we are faithful to God, number one, he, he protects you, he guards you, the Bible says he blesses you, the Bible says he strengthens you, and the Bible says he guides you. Do you see what the Bible says that God does when we are faithful to him? And that's because he loves us, because he knows what's best for us. And so he does this. So when we turn inward, when we want to do things our own or get back at somebody for something they did for us, or if 
we have an opinion about something and we just lash out and it's not biblical and we have criticism coming out of our mouths and we have all this that goes on in our lives, what that is is it's damaging our faithfulness and God's trying to bless us and God's trying to persevere, I mean, protect us and God's trying to guard us, but we keep pushing God away. God's still there, but we keep pushing him away. I call it the umbrella of blessing. I, I, I call it the, the umbrella that you stand under, and when you're being faithful to God, you're under an umbrella of blessing, and you're just getting all these blessings from God. He strengthens you. He guides you. He gives you his promises. He does this. God, God, because he promised that in the Bible, to be faithful. But whenever we move away from that umbrella of blessing, the umbrella of blessing doesn't move. That's where God is. But we move sometimes. We yell at each other. We criticize each other. Or we, we're just selfish. We want things our way instead of God's way. And, and we don't do what the Bible says. We don't love one another and care for one another. Well, what happens is we move away. That doesn't mean we're not saved. But what it means is we've moved out of the umbrella, umbrella of blessing. And it damages our faithfulness. Now, what another thing happens when you have spiritual pride is this. We forget God's grace. I'll use this example. If I'm with another Christian, and that Christian makes me mad, not that that ever happens, but that Christian makes me mad, and I have spiritual pride and I say to myself, well, I'm going to show them. I'm going to tell them a thing or two. What we have just done is we have completely forgotten God's grace. And what did I say? God's grace is what brings us salvation. And spiritual pride, what it does is it makes you forget about God's grace. So I will go, I mean... If I, if I have spiritual pride and I turn focus in me and, and I get angry at another Christian, instead of going on my knees and asking God to give me strength and forgive me and see whatever part it was that I played in that and do that, what it is is I'm going to get that person and I'm going to get that person good and what have I just done? I've just forgotten God's grace. What if God was like that with us? That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? But God's grace is a loving grace. God's grace is a caring grace. And so spiritual pride makes you forget about God's grace. And See, I'm just happy that God loved me enough that he died on the cross that I'm saved. Who am I? to destroy another child of God. They have the same grace, don't they? It's because the devil gets in our mind and gives us that spiritual pride saying, you need to get your way. Don't let that person do that to you. But God's grace said, love one another. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that's what happens when we have spiritual pride. So how do you, 
when you have spiritual pride or when you catch yourself becoming selfish toward people or when you catch that you want to attack someone or criticize somebody and you how, how do you handle that? What do you do? Three things and we're done, real fast. Number one is this. You realize, first of all, that all of us in this room, we can fall into spiritual pride. Everyone in this room, we can be those laborers in the vineyard who were hired at nine o'clock in the morning and we go and we don't like what's going on over here and we say something and complain to Jesus. We just have to realize that everybody in this room, we can fall into spiritual pride. How do I know we can do that? Because it is what got the devil. And so if that what got the devil, he's mad and he's gonna try to make everybody else that's a Christian, he's gonna try to destroy you by making you have spiritual pride, by turning inward. That's how you first do it. You realize. Second, you do this. You repent and humble yourself before God. You know, in Psalms 51, David goes to God and says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found what you just speak and blameless when you judge. That is how you deal with it. You get on your knees before God, you humble yourself, and you say, God, sometimes I have a tendency to just think about myself. Sometimes I have a tendency to want to get back at others. God, sometimes I have a tendency you fill in the blank. You go to God and you repent and humble yourself. Paul, later on in what he talked about in Philippians, he says this, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowships of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. And so he is saying here that there is nothing better than turning everything over to God every selfish need, every selfish thought, every selfish action, there is nothing better than turning that all over to God and being counted righteous by God. That's what Paul's saying. So repent and humble yourself. And the last one is this. You receive God's grace and you give God's grace. Could you imagine what this world would be like if just like in the story of the laborers in the vineyard, 
We, got, we gave God's grace to every single person we came in contact with. And the reason we can do that is because there was a time in your life that you asked Jesus Christ into your heart. And by his grace, he came into your heart and he saved you from your sins. And now we are going to spend all eternity together forever and ever and ever. What a blessing. What an encouragement to you that you were saved and you're going to spend eternity. We get to spend eternity together. I'm just asking, be careful. Because there's a little roaring line going around seeing who they can devour. And if he can get you to turn yourself to yourself, then damage can be done. Receive God's grace, give God's grace. That's the answer to any spiritual pride that we may have.